Okay, good morning everyone. If you, would, uh, if you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn to John chapter 15? If you don't have a Bible, that's fine because you'll be able to look on the screen um, and, and see the verses there uh, that we'll be looking at today. We've been in a mini-series looking at some of the sayings of Jesus. And in John's Gospel, there are uh, different occasions where he said, I am. He said, I am uh, the bread of life. We looked at that. We learned that actually he's the one who satisfies every uh, real significant desire. He is the one who gives us life. Um, we've, we've looked at the other ones as well. I am the light of the world. Um, pierce, the one who pierces our darkness and bringing us into light. Um, and we worked all the way through. Uh, we've seen that he is the, uh, the, the door. Uh, he is the shepherd. He is the resurrection. Uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And today we're going to look at the one that concludes this series, which is, I am the true vine. So I'm going to read from uh, John chapter 15, verse 1, all the way through to verse uh, 17, as we look at that this morning. Here we go. So Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So you've got to picture the scene or remember the scene that Jesus has been spending special time uh, with his disciples. They've had their last meal together, the last supper, where Jesus has broken bread and given them wine and said, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then during that meal, he's uh, revealed to them that one of them, one of the twelve, one of his special chosen friends, 
will betray him. The disciple that Jesus loved just leans back and says, who is it? The one who dips bread into the pot. And soon Judas leaves the house. It's interesting that every disciple seems to say, is it me? Am I going to betray you? But no, um, it's, it's Judas. Uh, so Judas has left. He left that meal, meal time. Jesus has had some more time with them. And this conversation, this dialogue that's even we've been looking at right now could be as they're en route, having left the upper room, left the house, left the meal time, and they're heading to the place of prayer. They've gone there many times, into the garden, Gethsemane, um, on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to spend the night praying. And he's, they could be en route to that point. Perhaps even then, as they're on that journey, he sees a vine and says, look, I am, the, I am the true vine. You must wonder what was going on in the disciples' heads. It's only back in chapter 13, verse 33, where Jesus makes plain to them, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. They've been with Jesus for three, three years or thereabouts. Uh, Whatever Jesus did, they would do. They'd be with him. He chose them. He invited them to be with him. And now he's just saying, I'm not going to be with you for much longer. What? What's going to happen to the kingdom now? What's our part to play? How are we going to follow you if we don't know where you're going? You could well imagine any number of worried thoughts and ideas going through their minds. They must be thinking, well, it's been... I mean, at times it's been dramatic, at times it might have been a bit scary, but it's been simple. What have we done? We've walked with Jesus, we've spent time with Jesus. He's talked to us, we've listened, we've talked to him, he's answered. If he said do something, we did it, not always understanding. You give him something to eat. What? This great crowd, multiple thousands of people, with nowhere to go and get food. We haven't got enough to feed this crowd, what? give him something to eat. We don't have anything at all. Well, there's these few fish and loaves. Jesus multiplied it. What did he do? He gave thanks for it. And he gave it back to the disciples. So, go on, break up the bread and the fish that's in your hands. They were kind of looking down at a fragment of fish and maybe half a loaf. And then they're looking at groups of 50 people that are sat down in groups. Group after group after group after group. All going back to the hillside. These, this massive crowd that's been listening to Jesus. And thought, right, what should we do? We're just going to do what Jesus said. And so they break up the food and start giving it out. And as they give it out, what happens to that food? It multiplies in their hands. They can, keep, they can keep giving. They can keep breaking. And they can keep passing out this food. And even at the end, each disciple goes, goes away with... You know, with a huge amount of leftovers. What? I mean, that's just dramatic, that's profound. Sometimes it's scary. But we just simply did what Jesus said. We listened to him. We followed him. And they, we know they didn't always get it right, did they? They would sometimes stumble. They'd sometimes have arguments. They'd sometimes totally uh, misunderstand. Uh, Jesus had to correct them. But he was always there. There was that time when he was up on the hillside praying and they went into the boat and they started rowing. They weren't together then, not exactly, but even then Jesus came down the mountain, started walking on water. They thought he was a ghost. They realized he wasn't. Peter has a brief excursion onto the water. After that, Jesus comes into the boat. What happens? They miraculously arrive at the other side of the 
uh, of the lake. They've been right in the middle, fighting the wind all night. And suddenly they're there. They've arrived on the other side. Jesus turned up. You think, wow, they can look back on all this time. They've been with Jesus. Such a powerful time, such a fruitful time. They've seen what God can do. There's one time when they, they came down the mountain. Some of them had seen Jesus transfigured in glory and, and they met a man uh, and whose, whose son was oppressed by an evil spirit and a few of them tried to cast out the demon but they couldn't and Jesus comes along oh how long am I going to have to put up with you bring the child to me what's the matter right he casts the demon out and that uh, that family is so so blessed why couldn't we part why couldn't we do that Lord well this happens by prayer and fasting so they're learning. Teach us how to pray, Lord. We don't know how to pray. Like you taught your disciples, teach us. So Jesus teaches them, sits down, answers the question. When you pray, say this. Pray according to this pattern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Well, we've seen how he can do that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He taught them how to pray. He taught them what to pray. He taught them how to pray. It's like when a neighbor comes over or a guest comes over. You've got no food in the house and it's midnight. You bang on the door of your neighbor. Give me something. That's how to pray. Bang on the door. Be bold. Be persistent. Be confident. He's going to come through for me. He's going to provide. He's going to answer the prayer. Lord, I'm asking you for the Holy Spirit. They've just been with him. They've enjoyed time just in meal times. Maybe again, the meal that they've just had so poignant and maybe an element of just being frightening at times. But they've had so many times like that. Just time with Jesus. That's not just true of the guys either. It'd be Mary. And uh, she, would, she would choose to sit down at Jesus' feet and just listen to him. Uh, listen to him talk. Martha, if you know the story, her sister was busy doing many things. And she's a, she would expect Jesus to tell Mary off. Well, she's just being lazy. She's not pulling her weight. She's not doing what's necessary. <laughs> Here I am, slaving away, trying to get everything done. And what does Jesus say to her? Just one thing is required. And Mary's chosen the right thing, just sitting with me, listening. Just, that's the fruitful thing to do, Martha. They must have so many moments, the past three years, just highlighted to them the wonder of being with Jesus. And then Jesus says, I'm only going to be with you a little bit longer. What? How? What does it mean to follow you now? How can we fruitfully follow you, Jesus? When, you, when you're no longer here. And maybe there's that frightening moment of thinking, well, mm, guys, if Jesus is going soon, that must mean the pressure's on us. We've got to make this. We've got to keep it going for his sake. We, um, uh, I guess we've got to go it alone. He's moving on, but we'll still be here. Um, maybe they're starting to feel that pressure already, even not fully understanding what's about to happen. So how does Jesus kind of cut through their, their thoughts, which we can just speculate at the moment. How do, what does Jesus want to say to them in the moments before 
he's going to be taken away. It's that night he's going to be arrested. That night the betrayal will happen. That night he will be tried. And the next day he will be crucified. Here are some of his final words to encourage his disciples. And what does he say? I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. And he goes on to explain, as disciples, we're branches. He's, he's explaining, even when I'm gone, even when I've left, this closeness, this relationship, this partnership will continue. And it's so, it's so, so close. This fruitful partnership, he's not calling them to go it alone. He's calling them to always relate with him, always connect with him, and then expect fruitfulness uh, to follow. We're seeing a, 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 a partnership. We might think, I wonder, what's your, uh, if you have any, what's your favorite power tool? Um, Impact driver, thank you, Rory, and thank you for lending me your father's impact driver a little while ago. Um, I've since bought my own, but anyway, impact drivers are fun. I discovered this with Rory's help, putting something together and just like press the button. Wow, this is impressive. Um, you kind of think it's so much power. Now, that impact driver has a special relationship, it's in a special partnership with the national grid. I don't know if you, you realise that. It's not so obvious nowadays because power tools have batteries that attach to them. You don't have to kind of plug them into an extension lead for metres and metres and plug that in somewhere into your house. You can, you can plug in the battery at the right time, just get the battery, it's charged up, attach it to your chosen power tool. This morning, in this congregation, we will be using the impact driver. And you can do wonders with it. But you can only do wonders with it because it has this relationship with the national grid. And the national grid has a relationship, a partnership with a whole variety of power stations. You might think your impact driver can do some powerful things, but it's nothing in comparison to the power generated by the power station. So you might think, well, yeah, but that, that power station can't achieve anything if it doesn't have a tool to use. Yeah, but the tool can't do anything unless it's receiving power from a power station via the national grid, via your home plug socket, via an extension lead that led to the battery, and that battery got attached in. Now, that doesn't look like a really intimate relationship. Yeah, the, 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 the power station is, or who knows where that is precisely, the power's fed through, and even at the point of using it, it's not plugged in. We're talking about a, a, a partnership that is, even, that is so intimate between the vine and the branches of the vine. Think, well, where does one stop and the other begin? Uh, we've got a plant that's rooted into the ground. It has branches, and through those branches and from the roots, life is coming. Life is being drawn that, that nourishes the whole plant, leads to growth, and at the right time, fruit comes. And Jesus is saying, that's the relationship you have with me and that you'll still have with me. That fruitful partnership, it's not a partnership of equals, is it? Power is generated at the power station. The, 
The impact driver, as powerful as it might sometimes look, it's, it's, it doesn't generate power itself. And we can look at that with the branches of the vine. Take the branch away, snap it off. It doesn't produce anything. It doesn't generate any life. The life is in the vine. And for us, the life is in Jesus. So we're going to look at this wonderful partnership in which he's involved, we're involved, and fruitful discipleship, fruitful life springs out. And in this partnership, what we see is... First of all, Jesus choosing us. Now you see that right at the end of the verse, right at the end of this passage. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit. Fruit that will last. Now this, at, the, at this point, the image of a vine with branches growing fruit, it might seem a little bit distant. Of course a branch doesn't choose a vine. And the vine grows branches rather than necessarily choosing, I'll have that one, that one, and that one, please. Um, but even elsewhere in the scripture, we can see the image of how even God in his power and in his grace can take a branch from another plant and choose to graft it into something that he's doing. I had the just privilege of hearing some, some testimonies recently. A small team of us uh, went out to visit a church uh, in, in Muscat, and there was an occasion where a few of us just got the chance to share our, our story of coming to faith. It's a special, a special moment. And uh, my story was, well, I, I kind of grew up in a Christian family. You know, there came a point where that became real to me. I made a decision, if you like, but now I look back and I realize that all along Christ had chosen me. But there was a time, I suppose, when I was a twig on someone else's branch. I was a twig on my parents' faith or my family's, uh, family's faith. But there became a point where I became a branch. Uh, other testimonies were just being shared. I've actually, uh, I think Kim and Adrian and Linda just shared their stories of coming to faith as an adult. Uh, Adrian shared his. I had a Muslim friend and I had a Christian friend. And uh, at university, and I used to talk to both of them about faith. And there came a point where I decided, I realized the truth that's in Jesus. And so I decided to become a Christian. At that point, he got grafted in. And sometimes we can look at stories and think, yeah, there was a point where I made the decision. But we see in Scripture that it's not that we chose Jesus. It's not that we chose God. It's that he chose us. Whatever the specifics of our story, it's the same for every branch, every believer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He decided, he chose, he came to us. See the same thing uh, about the gospel in Jesus in, uh, in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and verse 6, Paul writes there to a different church, but says something similar. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. God's wonderful gospel still having an impact in people's lives the world over. And some of us just had the privilege of seeing that. The, the power of God at work in a very different nation, in another church that we're connected to. It's just wonderful and maybe we'll share more at, uh, at prayer meeting. 
God wants fruit, and therefore he's choosing people to, uh, to work through. Uh, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we could turn back to many places in the Old Testament that speak of a vine, or even in Isaiah 5, of a whole vineyard. Isaiah 5, verse 1, says this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Goes on to explain in verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delights. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. A God who's looking for fruit that, that glorifies him. He looked for it in a special people that he chose and he plucked out from amongst all the families of the earth. He chose this family, he chose this nation, he chose Israel and then he looked for fruit and he didn't find it. So what did he do? He sent his own son. He sent his own son who would lay down his own life but that precious son would bring, would bring fruit, would be fruitful in all the ways that the Father is uh, looking for. And then he would graft us into Jesus that we might be like him, we might bear the same fruit. So God chooses us, not because of anything special that we did, just a bunch of ordinary, uh, ordinary branches, not special in themselves, but he graciously chose us and to bear fruit in us, what's our part to play then in this partnership? Where God chooses, and we're then the ones who remain, abide, or remain in the vine. That's the responsibility we have. He says in verse 4, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What's the, what's the branch's job? Stay put. Stay connected to the vine. Stay abiding in Jesus. And the wonderful thing about that is, doesn't it just take the pressure off? From thinking, oh, I've got to produce fruit. No, you've got to remain in the vine. And then it's inevitable. Life will, throw, will flow through the vine to the branches. And in its season, the branch will produce fruit. Rather than having fretful disciples, you just have to have faithful disciples. We're going to trust that as we connect with Jesus... God will produce all sorts of fruit through us. Fruit of godly character. Fruit of seeing other people come to faith. Fruit of answered prayer. Fruit of loving 
our brothers and sisters in God's family. The fruit of obeying God's words. And when someone comes to Christ, often there can be this, uh, an explosion of fruit, just this great joy of knowing Jesus and, and, and receiving his word. And it's evident to others around you, there's just so much fruit, there's so much change. I've, I've come to God. It's, it, I don't swear anymore. I've, I've come to God. I'm, I'm not losing my temper like I used to. I've come to God. I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm loving people in a different way now. I'm, I've come to God. I, I don't want to just keep hold of money like I used to. I used to live for money, but I'm not living for that anymore. I'm living for him. It's totally different now. I've come to God. I've been grafted in. And, and now I just want to tell people about him. I want to just share my faith. Uh, there can be this kind of flurry of... Of, of fruitfulness. It's just so wonderful to see that new life. The wonder of, of God answering prayers. I prayed about something and I saw what God did. And others over time seeing that changes to character and, and God doing loads of things. The chances are that sometimes we just want to narrow down the focus and just make it about one thing. This is a this is this is fruitfulness of all of life. Every single way imaginable that we can live in a way that pleases God. This is, uh, this is just a delight. It's what, uh, going back to Colossians, it's what Paul prays for that church. He says in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. He says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. All kinds of fruit, in other words, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God. Like just a whole lot of fruit, and that fruit grows. We might think, well, what, what specifically or does this entail for us? How do we remain in Jesus? Well, we're told uh, here in what Jesus says, "If you remain in me," in verse seven, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. It's like, wow, fruitful, a fruitful prayer life. That's not the reserve of just one or two uh, expert Christians who've worked up lots of brownie points. No, it's, it's just the fruit of spending time with him in his word. As we get hold of his word, it, it shapes how we pray and what we want to pray about. It affects our faith when we see what God has done in his word. We start praying for, for impossibilities, but we're praying in line with God's word. If, if my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Well, I, I want, Lord, what your word talks about. I'm going to pray about that. Now, we can get into a mindset where we just think answered prayer is a rare event. Answered prayer is only if you slave away. Now, it's good to persevere. But God... God's looking for fruit. God wants us to be fruitful. He's not looking to make it difficult. difficult. But remain in my words. You'll be fruitful in your prayer life. He's also going to go on to say, 
Remain in my love. Remain in my love. Just as the Father has loved me and I've loved you. Remain in my love. It's a bit like the power station and the power tool again. Just look at the amazing love of God. Just look at the incredible love of Jesus. Greater love has no one than this. That he laid down his life for his friends. That's not talking about Baloo from the Jungle Book. Although that verse does get quoted at the end of that, end of that story. Talking about a saviour. Talking about the son of God. To make you fruitful. To make you a part of what I'm doing on planet earth. I, I'm going to lay down my life. That's what he was just about to do. As we remain in that love, as we remember his love, as we believe that is his love for us, draws out fruitful love in us. A love that will spill out in how we uh, seek to bless our brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes we can just think love each other. Well, it just sounds so... It sounds so inward. But he said, no, this is how I want to impact the world. When the world sees how you love each other in God's family, that will show the world something of the Father's powerful love, the Son's amazing love. I haven't got time for that, Lord. There's, there's too much to do. There's too much out there. No, we can just be thinking as individual branches when actually we're part of this big, massive vine. He's bearing fruit through us. It's not just about the fruit that's in me. It's about what he's doing in us. We can think so independently. All the things we want to do to have this amazing, fruitful life. Now, love each other. Spend time getting to know each other. Giving thanks for each other. Praying for each other. Helping each other. It might just be simple acts of kindness, but friends and others, neighbours, start to look in think, this, this whole community is different. What have we got to do? Remain in him. Be rooted in him. But some of you might be thinking, well, that makes it sound so effortless. Just be a branch in the vine and pop, 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 pop. All this fruit comes out. Maybe you can identify with maybe certain times in your life when it's been like that. When you were first a believer or other seasons of life. Think, oh, wow, answer prayer here, opportunity there. Just lots of things all before me. Um, and other times we just feel, uh, this isn't effortless. This isn't always easy. And maybe we just need to look at another aspect of this fruitful partnership. There's choosing and remaining. There's also pruning. It doesn't take long in the passage to get there. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It must be a strange experience if, the vi if an ordinary vine itself could think. Well, I was planted. I was nourished. The gardener would come every day and tend to me and, and make sure I was water, watered, irrigated. And the sun shone. And it's wonderful. And even now, you know, maybe there's ideas about you know, playing, play classical music to your plants. All, you know, everything done to make this plant grow and enjoy itself. 
Well, that was what life was like. And, and then there was that day, and I, I just been you know, fruit left, right, and center, just enjoying the sunshine, a little bit of light drizzle, none of this heavy, grotty rain that we've been experiencing recently. Just, oh, this is wonderful. And along comes a gardener with his big shears and goes, cut, 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 cut. And it, you hear what Jesus says. Sounds like, well, it sounds like every branch gets cut. The ones that didn't bear fruit, cut. The ones that did bear fruit, cut. What are you doing? What was this change of character in the gardener? He's been so kind, he's been so loving, he's been so tender. How does this fit with a kind and wonderful and gracious God? Well, it does. Because the Father's desire, the gardener's desire, is always to maximize the fruit that is coming from the vine. So what does he do? He prunes. Apparently, for a vine, that would happen twice a year. There'd be some pruning would happen in the spring. Come along and, and prune some of the branches. Why, is the gar- why, why would a gardener do that? Well, sometimes it's to prevent uh, a branch growing so quickly that it could then be snapped off in the wind. Sometimes the gardener might even come along and snip off some fruit prematurely. Why would he do that? Was to make sure that uh, the fruit that remains is, is really full. So there'd be a whole variety of pruning that's happening. Maybe just little shoots and little twigs. Forget the illustration I used earlier. Um, little parts would just get snipped off. Why? So there's a concentration of this life. It comes through. Later on in the autumn, when the fruit has been harvested, that would be when the the branches that haven't borne any fruit get snapped off, cut off, and thrown into the fire. And the other ones get cut back. That there might be life coming. You know, sometimes... Sometimes God's blessing can be a greater test than hardship. How, how do we respond to seasons of great fruitfulness in our lives or in the life of the church? Because then the danger is, and you can see this in Israel's history, the danger is we start to think, look how fruitful I am. Look how powerful I am. Look at the life that's in me and flowing through me. And we can start to just put the focus on ourselves, we can start to think independently. We become just self-reliant, proud. Look what I've done for God. And so there are seasons where He cuts us back. What what should be our response? That's not a bad thing. If we just grew this spindly fashion, it might be a little bit of fruit, but it's not going to be sustained. Why does he prune? Was to bring about more fruitfulness. What, what might pruning look like in, lo- in our life? Well, there are moments in, this, in the scripture when God's people are cut, cut to the heart. Or where God's word is described as, as sharp, double-edged sword even. It kind of cuts the attitudes of our hearts. Now, what do you think is happening when we spend time in God's word? Together corporately like this or personally and privately when you're spending... There's a, there's a temptation. Here's the tempting thought. I'm reading God's word. 
Maybe I'm going through some scheme. I know, come to the next passage in my, uh, in my devotions in a morning or an afternoon, whenever it might be. I think, oh, I hope, I hope it's a good bit today. I hope it's one of my favourites. I hope I like what I read. I hope it's not one of those genealogy passages <laughs> of all those names I can't pronounce. I mean, hallelujah. Well, yeah. Yeah, we can just... Oh, oh that's my favourite. Wonderful. I like that bit. That bit I'm not so sure of. And we can think of it in those terms. As though we are over the word. You know, something more dramatic, something more powerful, something more life-giving, but sometimes something more painful can be going on. Is it us reading God's word? Or is it God's word reading us? And God's word is coming to us. And God's word is coming to Dan. And God's word is saying, I hope I, hope I come across something that I like today. I hope I come across something that I agree with. Ouch. Because God's word is searching me. And it's searching us. And we shouldn't be surprised when the word of God is painful to us. It cuts away at an attitude that doesn't really belong. We notice actually there is that bit of pride. There is that bit of greed. There is that selfishness. There is that stuff that I'm not really attending to. There can be all sorts of things that the word wants to come along to. It's not there to do us harm. And sometimes there might be other seasons where uh, we just don't feel as fruitful as perhaps we once were. It's very subjective, I know. Yeah, there was that time in my life, a season of great fruitfulness. doesn't seem to be happening now. A season when prayer just seems like a hard slog. I'm in danger of stopping, really. There was a time when I, I wanted to share my faith. It bubbled out of me all the time. And it seems just more laboured now. I'm not even sure I want to. There can even be dark nights of the soul where just spiritually nothing seems to be working. God, where are you? And what are those moments for? The danger is that by that point, we've learned what a fruitful spiritual life might look like. In other words, we've kind of learned how to behave. We've learned how to appear fruitful. And maybe in a corporate moment like this, yeah, you, could, you might be here looking for a church to join. You might have been here for the past 20 years like me. Yeah, or even longer or shorter. After a while, you kind of pick up what passes for normal around here. I think if, if there's no real fruit, at least I can produce something that looks like it and is a bit fake. So I've learned chorus repeats. When that happens in worship band, chorus repeat. Yeah. When we take it to the bridge, yeah. <laughs> Something else. It can just be a code of conduct, can't it? It was once just what I wanted to do. Didn't really matter who was looking. Didn't matter what people thought. But now, with a bit of pruning and maybe a bit of disappointment, a few hurts here and there, I just... I just want to look the part. I'll settle for that. You, know, you can have a real apple or you can try and bite on your child's toy plastic imitation food. Watching the shopping channel the other night and the, the advertising the kind of 
We don't do it for very long, but it is a bit of a laugh. <laughs> Rach and I have got a great sketch coming. We'll, we'll do it one day. Yeah, if, if, we've, if we've watched something that has scared one of us, um, then we <laughs> take a few moments to watch a shop, shopping channel. And you can buy, you can buy these this ama amazing fake flowers. Did you know that? You get amazing fake flowers, any sort you want, any colour. Their fakeness is so good that in the package with three easy payments, along comes like an incense to make them smell like real flowers. It's just, oh, it is a bit disappointing when real flowers die. Anyway, just go and buy some real ones. Maybe there are certain situations in which fake flowers are helpful. But anyway, let's not be f trying to just produce fake fruit. And sometimes that's what we're worried about when we open up about what's really going on in life, what we really need prayer about is we're just kind of concerned that if I say that, I'm not going to sound very fruitful. It's not going to look very impressive. Maybe that happens with dress code as well. I used to wear this and that, but now I've kind of worked out what a church's dress code is. Please don't try and yeah, just buck the trend if you want to. We're, yeah, we're not here just to be fake with one another, and we're not here to be fake with each other. What should we do then? In those moments when we are pruned... And it doesn't feel quite fruitful as it used to be. At that point, don't think or don't focus so much on all the fruit that you would just love to be involved in developing. Sometimes we can be distracted. If only as a branch in this fight, as only, if, I, if only I was in a different position. If only I had the same opportunities that other person had. If only I had a bit more of a title and a role. If only there was something else. If only this, that or the other then I can be fruitful if I'm wearing a different badge. I can be fruitful if. And we're focusing on the wrong things. We might be focusing on the fruit that we want then just getting frustrated. I want the fruit that that person has. And we feel frustrated when someone shares their story of what God's doing in their life. Oh, brilliant. Great for you. So happy. Lord, why not me? At that point, don't think about the fruit so much. As turn back to the root. Don't get preoccupied over there. Get preoccupied with Jesus. Remain. Lord, why is this happening to me? I think it's that I learned something from God's word and I learned something again about his love. That's what I'm to do. I'm to, I'm to remember, what am I actually a part of? I'm a part of you, Jesus. I might want this position, that position, this fruit, that fruit, but really what I want, Lord, is I want to be rooted into you. That's the language that sometimes Paul will use. You being rooted and established in love. He'll say, that'll be another one of his prayers in Ephesians. And we'll come into a land for a minute, in a minute. When he says in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Uh, reading from verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer focuses on our root. All sorts of fruit will come amongst the people who are well-rooted, rooted and established in him. And you can call that fruit whatever you like, but it could all share the name love. You're rooted into his love, that's what will come in all sorts of ways. Loving your brothers, loving the family of God, loving the world, loving strangers, even loving enemies. Obey my commands, Jesus says. I love each other. Don't worry about your life, about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to wear. Don't store up treasure for yourself in heaven. The commands of Jesus, we find as we turn to him, there's an, uh, in his word, we become convinced this is, what I'm, this is the life that I want to reproduce. Your life, oh God. But it doesn't have to be attached to a label or a title, a particular position in the vine. We're just all ordinary branches. And we want to get grafted into him. Now, it's probably about time I said amen. We might have a response in just a moment, but I'd like to invite the band uh, just to come back up. It might not be a great time of pruning for you, but perhaps there is an element to which you just think, oh, I've been pruned recently. If that's the case, just give thanks that your heavenly Father is paying you attention because he loves you. And he's going to bring more fruitfulness. That's the promise. Even more fruit. Fruit that will last. 